all can say too. Okay? Alright? This is what it means to be the gospel at work. When you see different generations together, one worshiping another. This is why we try to do, and I try to lead us in that way. Lead us in a way, though, that it isn't just one generation doing for another, but every generation working together the core parts of our church. I mentioned in my end report, which is, yes, eight, nine pages long. I realize it's a book that some like Larry will not be, you know, he made the rules, but he won't do it at all. He will now just because I said it. But one of the perks that we have seen over these past couple years is every Wednesday night, we had another 80-year-old in Joyce Bowen working with a six-year-old in Eliana as they gather salad together, put it in a, in a little box, and get it ready. And all the conversations I have overheard between the two of them, I don't know which one was really leading the conversation, it's a toss-up. But you know, it's a beautiful thing. When, when people of all generations, we've had Ashlyn, who must have went downstairs, running with us. My Josiah, who loved, I mean, literally, Josiah loves running in and out of the door. And that's exactly what he does. He runs in and out. And then we have others alongside. Generations working together. We must never lose sight of the power of one generation helping the other grow up in the Lord. And I don't just mean the older helping the younger grow up in the Lord. I mean the younger helping the older grow up in the Lord. We need one another. And that is how we can start to see what the gospel is about. This is part of the heart of what Paul in the book of Galatians is going to continue to teach us that when the gospel is at work, things change. And to be honest with you, as much as I We'll share about the differences in generations. There are some things that are consistent across all generations. And here's a question that we all ask. What am I to do with my life? Cooper, you're probably really trying to answer that question specifically right now, aren't you? You've figured some things out. Still leaning towards Wilmington. Right? Still leaning that way. He's trying to answer that question. What am I going to do when I grow up? Bonnie? Are you still wanting to know what you're going to do when you grow up? Absolutely. All right. I get it. Uh-oh, those of you on live stream, I may have messed something up. So I apologize in advance uh, with that. And, and we're all asking this question, what am I to do with my life? For if you think of this as a little, I don't want to say little kid, not super, you're not little. And you're not a kid, I understand that. So don't take it. Uh, offensive, all right? But we see this as natural at their age. We see it natural for those in college. What am I going to do next? But you know what? For many of you, you've also seen this. As you grow older, maybe you have to change a job. Maybe you have to decide, am I going to retire from my job? And then, you know, as Jeff and Jonathan are still trying to figure out, what am I going to do with my life now? You know, now Jonathan's still busy doing other things, and Jeff does, he finally cleaned his desk at home, he was done with this week, you know, after about a year and a half of being retired, he finally got to some things. But we ask this all the time, do we not? 
You know, our shudders ask me all the time, what am I to do with my life? What am I to do that life has changed? How can I continue to move forward? And so we, we, we ask that question. And then we also ask this question across all the, uh, the, the generations. How does Christ speak? And sometimes we specifically are asking, how does he speak today? How do I know what he is saying? And these are questions that the early church wrestled with. The early church wrestled with, what does it mean to say God spoke? Or God revealed? Paul here in Galatians 1, he's going to say that, you know, it was in verse 12, this gospel that he received, he didn't receive it by any human being. It wasn't passed on to him, but it was revealed to him by Christ Jesus. It was revealed. Interesting enough, in our world, we have this idea of we are so uh, concerned with the apocalypse and apocalyptic thinking and future and end times. And that's the word Paul uses here in uh, Galatians 1 and 12, that Jesus Christ revealed apocalyptically to some extent, which just really means, the apocalypse really means Christ revealing. And a very bare bones, it's more than that, I guess. What is Christ revealing? How does Christ reveal today? How can you know as you struggle, what am I to do with my life? How can you know God is leading me this way. God is calling me this way. How can our teenagers sit back and go, I have a good sense of this is how it means for me to live with Christ. We've been, we've been trying to answer that question as we talk about God's will. You know, and the only thing, not the only thing, but uh, when we first started the discussion on God's will, uh, I handed them all a piece of paper and we had one person act like they were God, and uh, the person will never let the rest of us put it down that they were God uh, for about five minutes, right, Jim? Okay, uh, you know, and, and this idea of God being so specific that if you could just give a piece of paper and say, "This is it," as if I could tell Dan, "Dan, this is the will of God for your life," and you either do it or you don't do it, and there's no in between. That'd be kind of nice, wouldn't it? He would always know, wouldn't he? The reality is. As we will find out here in Galatians 1, that's not always the case. One of our teenagers was a very successful businessman and CEO. Another one was a homeless person. And they don't let us ever let them down. They supposedly got a homeless person. Can both be the will of God? Well, it depends. Because the, the nature of all this is our identity. Who are we? And our identity is crucial for our future. Whether you're getting ready to go into college, whether you're in the midst of your career and your prime, as we can say Dan might be, or midlife-ish, you know, he's laughing this time, or you're retired, or anywhere in between. Your identity is crucial to your future. What defines who? Define. Does your education define you? I mean, that's a portion. I mean, uh, Nadia is heading to Miami University, a great school. But what happens if Miami is the only thing that defines her? Well, here, 
in three years when she's out of there, she'll have an identity crisis. Do what? There'll be another crisis. Oh, okay. She only has two years now? Okay, whatever. You know, maybe she's not a five year plan. No, whatever. No. All right. What is it? What if sports, you know, Strader Boys, you guys are good at sports. You've been gifted that way. But what if sports is your identity and all of a sudden you can't play? Or your job? Or your health? Now, question is, what do I do? Who am I? Our identity is crucial. And the gospel speaks to our identity and changes our identity. Paul, as he talks about the gospel at work, says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that I proclaim to you is not of origin from man, but it has been revealed to me by Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former way of life in Judaism. How that I went to extraordinary measures and degrees to persecute the church of God and to try to destroy it and to advance in Judaism much greater than any others around me. For I was more zealous for my ancestors' traditions than any others. His identity. His identity was this way of life. It was defined by the law of Moses. It was defined about not just keeping the letter of the law, but everything that surrounded the law to kind of protect him from going there. He was in another book in Philippians. He says, a Pharisee upon Pharisees. He was an overachiever like none other. He advanced quicker than anyone thought. He knew more than anyone thought. And he was determined to save the, the nation of Israel from this newfound way. This newfound way of being that did something that wasn't supposed to measure up in his idea. It was the way of Christ that says, you are free from the law. For the law has been fulfilled. And it says, that is who I was on verse 15. But, do you have a but in your story of life? Do you have a time where you say, but? He goes on to say, when it pleased God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, and when it pleased him to call me by his grace, to reveal his son to me. But I might proclaim his gospel to you, the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, no word to Jerusalem before the other apostles. But I went into Arabia, then on to Damascus. Interesting, he's, he's finding this idea, at least I believe, he's finding this idea of what is the gospel. There are others who come behind him and say, hey, Paul was sanctioned by the church in Jerusalem, and we come from Jerusalem to kind of correct what he didn't really say to you. And so Paul is going to argue for his independence in his experience, but not in the substance of the gospel. 
He doesn't say, I gave a different gospel than what Peter and the church in Jerusalem said. No. He says, my experience is one. No, I did not come from Jerusalem. He's not saying necessarily that's a bad thing, but he's letting the church in Galatia know that what he has proclaimed to them came straight from the Lord. Came straight from, as we might say in our Western culture, the horse's mouth. Because you know how sometimes it works. We tell something to one person, they tell another person, and it changed just a little bit. Paul saying, look, I have not been commissioned by anybody in Christ himself. This is the gospel I experience. This substance, though, is not different than what we find in the book of Acts that Peter and James and John have proclaimed. That by the grace of God, we are called into relationship with God. By the grace of God, we are called out of our former way of life into a new way of being. By the grace of God, you and I can have a, we can be in right relationship with God, not based on what you and I do, but based on who He is. See, people were coming behind Paul saying, hey, if you really want to know what it means to have a right relationship, you've got, to go, you've got to be more Jewish than what you are. You've got to be more like the rest of us where the church started. And Paul's saying, stop. Those things aren't bad, as people argue. But those things aren't what will save you. But God. Now, we may respond to the call of Christ. We may come to salvation, but has anybody ever wrestled with what God is calling them to do? Has anybody ever wrestled with, I'm not, I mean, I know I'm saved, but now what? You know, some of us, I have. And, and, and here's what I think happens. Is Paul tells us here, he wrestled with his call and his identity. He was saved on the road of the master. It was a, a tremendous experience. That he had. But he didn't just all of a sudden like leaving knowing everything he needed to do. It says he goes into Arabia. He goes into the wilderness. Some believe he went to Mount Sinai itself. Some believe that uh, Paul, also known as Saul, saw himself as a modern day Elijah, looking to purify the nation of Israel from those who are going away. And how fitting he then goes into uh, the area that Elijah most likely went. And he wrestles with, now what, O oh Lord? You've saved me, but what does this have to do with my former way of being? How do I reconcile who you are and who I am? I've been so committed to this law. Now what? I've been trying to destroy this new way. Now what? And I believe it is in that desert moment he heard a deeper call of God. A deeper one to say, Paul, I'm paraphrasing, we don't know the real words, okay? This isn't gospel truth, this isn't scripture. But I think we can hear a little bit of it. He said, Paul, God said, Paul, follow me. Above all else, follow me. And his identity was completely changed. He goes on to 
say. That was my former way until the Lord called. And then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to see Cephas, Peter, and stayed with him for 15 days, but I didn't see any of the others except James, the brother of our Lord. For which I write, behold, before God, I'm not lying to you. He's saying that look, this is all true here. And then I went to Syria and the other parts. I was unknown physically, face to face with these people. But because of the gospel, they rejoice that I was called to be a faith for the glory of God. Notice here. Paul isn't against the church in Jerusalem. He goes to hear, to acquaint. The book of Acts says they were a little scared that he came. I would too. But as he, after he wrestled with his call and his identity, he had the same story. That's why in the book of Acts, Peter blesses him along his journey. They realize that he is called to be the apostle to the Gentiles. He will say in verse 2, or chapter 2, verse 10. He says that all they asked, as they, as they went back and forth on what it means, the grace there, said so they agreed that we, all of his companions, should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews, the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor. Their only concern. Oh, was going to say, was that we remember the poor, the family of God throughout all of the Roman Empire. He says, I was eager to do this all along. Paul wrestled with his identity. Paul wrestled with his call. He wrestled with, what, how do I know God spoke? I mean, he had this, but what does this now mean? And I believe we need to realize this. Christ and his word will always agree. Christ and his word will always agree. Paul's experience does not go against the word of God. It cannot and truly be the gospel. And Peter would say the same thing. In our world, that is all about experience, and my experience is true. If we want to know the will of God, we need to understand that God's word, Christ's word, is his revelation to us. Yes, there's a general revelation. All of creation proclaims there is God, and there is a specific revelation, the revealing of God's will, will through his word. And if my experience contradicts this word, my experience isn't true. It isn't authoritative. It isn't what we'll say. And that's why, you know, Paul is saying, look, the will, the word of God, Christ proclaimed that the Son said you free, you are free indeed. So don't live any longer to the bondage of sin. How well do you know God's will? You know, we have access to it in more ways than some of you ever dreamed were possible. Yet, more and more of us, even those of us who attend church, know less and less of the word. We know some of the opinion. We know what we think. But we know less and less about this word. That 
brethren, will not get us through when we have an identity crisis. When we wrestle with our father, it will not get us through unless we go back time and time again. Christ and his word will always agree. So as I kind of start to wrap us up, maybe, I want to ask you this question. What is your story? You notice that within this section, as he starts to uh, help reveal who the gospel, what the gospel is, Paul tells his story. Paul does this quite often. Now, you're not going to find this exact same version of the story in Philippians, nor in Ephesians, or Colossians, or Corinthians. Does that mean Paul was contradictory? He didn't even know who he was because he changed his story? No. He used his story to make a point. He used his story to help people to see the power of the gospel. What is your story? Some of you probably remember time when in churches we have testimony times, right? People would get up and share about what God is doing in their life. Some of you have not clue what that is. And that's okay to some extent. But, but it was a time of sharing a story. Do you have a story? I would say you do. If you know Jesus, the gospel has changed you in some way. Now some would say, you have to be changed in an instant by Paul. And he was. He was changed drastically like that. But can I submit that Peter was not changed like that? I mean, he was with the Lord for three years. That was a gradual change. For some of you, it's a gradual change, but there ought to be a change. There comes a time when your identity has been changed when you say, this is what I value, but God and his grace, this. What is your story? You didn't know it. Have you seen it? For some of you, definitely need to start this week. What is my story of the gospel? How do I know the gospel is at work in me? What is different? How, when I dealt with a crisis, did my identity in Christ help me figure out my next steps? Maybe you, like Paul, have a dramatic change, praise the Lord. But maybe you're like Peter. Your change was gradual as you got to know the Lord more and more and more. But both were changed. The Peter that we see begin with the Peter we see at the end are completely different Peters. Because the gospel changes lives. What is your story? And I want to encourage you to keep Christ in the center of your story. See, Paul, throughout all of this, you, you read his story, and you see the fact that it is the grace of God. It was about what Christ has done. Sometimes, when we tell our story about how Jesus saved us, we focus more on what we were like beforehand than on what Christ did. In my work with those with addiction, I caution them. They have to tell their story at some point in time. It's part of, part of what it means to be in recovery. But make sure you highlight the portion that's not about the addiction. That's what provides hope. It's 
not that you're an awful person. It's not about how much you love to do whatever you used to do. It's about how Christ is giving you freedom over that. But Christ. Keep Christ the center of your story. Keep Christ the center of what he is doing. And this is central to the gospel. Christ and Christ alone. Luther and others of the Reformation reminded us of that. As I was reminded as I finished preparing today, the Roman Catholic Church brought Luther before I wanted him to recant of its beliefs. He said, I cannot do that and have a clear conscience because of who Christ is. Do people know who Christ is because of their story? And some of that maybe because we don't even know our story. But I want to encourage you to tell your story. We live in a day and age where people want to hear stories. They, there's power in that story. There's power to, to live out your story. When's the last time you told your story? In some way, shape, or form. Do you know your story? Could you articulate that to somebody, given the circumstances of life? Do you know it? See, I'm part of an established church because the church was the church for me. I'm part of the established church because I had men and women who would pour in to my life to help me to hear the story God was revealing in my life. I'm part of the established church because of a pastor who one day on a snowy night in Hamilton, Ohio, said, Jeremy, I, when you want to give your first message, let me know. The pulpit is yours. Did that change me overnight? No, I had to go and wrestle with what in the world did this guy just say? I hadn't thought of that. Why would I have thought of that? But I wrestled with that. And so at the age of 13, I gave my first and hopefully my worst message ever. In a pulpit on Pleasant and Woodlawn Avenue in Hamilton, Ohio. But it didn't stop there. It didn't make things magically go away. I had others who continued to pour in my life to help me to be reminded hey, Christ is probably doing this in your life. Don't forget who Christ is. And sometimes I listened, and other times I did not. And when I did not, I got myself in trouble and heartache, and pain. But God in His grace did not give up on me. And so He continued to reveal His call. He grew it with the Word of God to where now about 30, well, it's been 36 years. Yeah, 36 years from that initial call I stand before. 
Yeah, 26. She, my life is practically over here. I'm not that old yet. You know. They say your mind is the first thing to go. I can't remember the first or second. Whatever. You got it. 26 years ago. 26. The grace of God. How many times did I try to give up? I can't count. Okay? I can't count. But in God's grace, he sustains. For the gospel changes. The gospel doesn't just change, but as you tell your story, the gospel will produce joy. Notice what Paul says here. That the people didn't know who I was. They just knew how I used to persecute the church, but now proclaim the gospel of faith that I tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of it. The change. Do people glorify God because of your gospel story? Does it produce joy in them? When you hear someone else's gospel story, do you have joy? Or not? Because one of the uh, fruits of the gospel is joy. We should be people. When we hear of the story of God as seen through someone else's life, we experience joy. A joy that becomes our strength. So I just want to ask you, as I did last week, where is God calling you? Where is God calling you to tell your story? It may be a full-time ministry. It may be in the halls of a school, on a sports team, or anywhere else. You have a story to share. And when you and I take the time to tell our story, the gospel comes to life. Identities are changed, and the world sees joy. We pray we found it, I think, for this time. Lord, I pray that uh, the words that have spoken, that you have been able to translate them into each and every person's unique experience. That you will uh, have drawn men, women, and children to you in a deeper way. That they are ready to respond to your call. So, Lord, I don't know what that response may be specifically, but I know you are changing our identities even yet today. So, Lord, I ask that you would help us to submit, that we would be obedient, whether that's for church membership or baptism or salvation or, or a specific call like all to the Gentiles, a specific call to a certain area. Lord, that we would just trust you with our every need. Lord, that we would let your grace overcome our identity crisis. That you, we would allow you to be central, not just in our lives, but in our story as well. Lord, I just thank you for this. I thank you for the power that is in the gospel. That when we are washed in you, we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So Lord, be with us as we continue to worship this morning. And we pray this in the name of all God, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Will you worship with me as we sing this